Hang in there, idiot. Smiley Kaufman for 61. Wow. I'm Smiley Kaufman, and this is The Smiley Show. Welcome to, of course, the what we hope is the final episode of The Smiley Show in 2024. Although, if we've learned anything this past year, and especially this past few weeks and months, anything could happen, and we might be forced to break away from the uh, Christmas dinner table and record some emergency pod, uh, some, you know, even bigger storyline than we could have imagined breaking. Uh, the hope is that we don't have to do that and that we can just put a bow on the year here uh, today and now. Um, but yeah, let's, I mean, I guess before we dig into, you know, the the weekend that, that just happened, of course, Tiger, the PNC championship and all the other brewing storylines in the game of golf. Uh, you, you're just back from a, a pro member tournament, Floridian. Do I have this yes. correct? Yes. Let's get some deets on this. I heard the the conditions were, I mean, shoot, if you were playing Florida golf in Florida this past weekend, felt like it was not fun for anybody, yourself included. So how how did that go? Listen, I, I uh, am am grateful and thankful that I got to play with uh, one of my, a a very close family friend in in the Petros and Tim Petro and uh, sent me the invite and Francie and Anna Carter both went. So we had a great weekend. The weather was terrible. Uh, we actually were able to play all of the golf this weekend, which was a miracle. I cannot believe that. But I don't know if that was actually a miracle because it <laughs> all it did was was give me a lot less confidence than I than I entered forwarded with. <laughs> because right now, after the round yesterday, I am just at a loss of words of um uh, my golf game was not good. Mm-hmm. Uh, really struggled off the tee. And if you've played Floridian and in 40 mile an hour crosswinds, that place can get uh, very claustrophobic very quickly as soon as you start losing some tee balls. And uh, tell you what, I could not find the club face and uh, barely was, you know, I, I was just hitting some heel balls out there and they just were, they were riding this wind like a roller coaster. That is, there is, I mean, I, 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 sh- I should make a blanket statement here. What I was about to say was there is nothing like playing golf and Florida win, which obviously isn't true. You go over to Scotland. I mean, that's a whole, yeah. you know, abandoned dunes. There are a lot of places that are like that, but I think maybe Florida it, it sneaks up on you a little bit because the, the conditions are so seemingly nice. You're thinking like beach, warm weather, and, and you get out, you know, especially in South Florida, some of those courses where the wind gets blowing and it is, uh, not fun to say the very least. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, 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 and especially you were in a legit, it was, this wasn't like a regular Sunday. You were in a legit storm scenario. So I'm, I'm stunned that you finished all, all of your rounds and I, you know, maybe you just chalk up. Cause I, I feel like heading into the week, we were feeling maybe good, maybe better about where your golf game was. Yeah. I played well last week in Dent in Dallas when I played. So I had all the confidence in the world and, I don't know what happened. I kind of got in between some swing thoughts. And then next thing you know, I got three different swing theories I'm working on mm. throughout the round. And uh, goodness gracious, just it, we're going to have to chalk that one up as an L and just move to 2024. Um, I'm going to take my clubs to Hawaii with me. So that'll probably be oh. the next time I touch them and hopefully get a good range session in, in Hawaii to try to uh, get get whatever that was out of the system and, and work on, uh, work on the game heading into 2024. So you're doing both Sentry and Sony, correct? With mm-hmm. Kevin Kisner, by the way, big yeah, breaking Kiz. news. How about I that? Just, just shot him a text. Uh, excited to have Kiz on the call with us. Um, definitely needed another man with the Southern swoop on the call. So oh, you gotta that's, love it. uh, it'd be fun. I mean, it's, I remember the first time I did 
media and broadcasting and how uh how kind of you just don't know what to expect and it's going to be a totally different experience for him but kids always always told it told it how it is and it'll be uh i think it'll be a really good time and a brush of fresh a breath of fresh air when he comes in just with uh his experience and um you know all the relationships that he has in the game of golf now it should be a lot of fun yeah, I mean, Kiz is not short on thoughts, opinions, or uh, personality. So, you know, I feel like that's where you want to start if you're producing uh, television or a podcast or anything is give me that and we can work with that and bring it back. Um, so I'm excited to see how how uh, those broadcasts go with with you and Kiz on them and uh, hope also that the, the Hawaii golf treats you well. I'm playing my first post-neck surgery round in South Florida at the end of December. So I'm going to take the, the over. Yeah, whatever it is, take the over. Uh, it's yeah, I'm I'm not like I'm really going to set a low bar, low expectations. We we were talking before we started this record about on, on the topic of of the conditions you played in this last weekend or around I played uh, last winter at Seminole where it was 40 degrees when we teed off with 25 mile per hour winds and 40 mile per hour gusts, uh, and so. I, let's let's hope we don't get weather in that category. But even if it's blowing in the 15 to 20 range, it, it'll be interesting. We're just going to just if we can just swing the club, we can hit 18 T balls mm-hmm. in the return that we're just going to check the box success might not even keep score, to be quite honest with you. So that's a win. And uh, I'm going to get into a little tangent here on on okay. playing golf and, and weather uh, with with heavy winds and how difficult of a challenge it is. And I'm just going to go pro mode here and and try to give some tips uh not only for you but for the listeners that play in this type of conditions on what what to change about your game first off don't play uh that would be my first (laughs) advice in in terrible weather don't play but if you do play uh from each each i'm gonna start with the putter so i would probably argue that putting might be the most difficult uh part of the game in, in really heavy heavy wins because Inside of 10 feet, I mean, just percentage wise, mm-hmm. it, it, everything moves much lower to what you are accustomed to. So everybody always asks, you know, what do you change about putting? Do you play for the wind? And and the answer is yes, in heavy, heavy winds. And if you're a putter that really is a someone who grips it very light, who um, isn't very sturdy, you know, someone like if I like mm-hmm. push you a little bit, you almost fall over. And I, I putt that way sometimes. It to me, uh, the guys that putt better in windier conditions have a much more s- stable base, meaning just like a little bit more bent knees, mm-hmm. a little bit more on top of the golf ball, not far away. It helps to get in there because your putter is going to be shaking. the The ball is going to look like it's oscillating and moving. So the closer I can get to the golf ball with a sturdy base, and we can just turn turn our shoulders and our big muscles when we putt that's a very good way to start and <laughs> and I, i'm not aggressive when it's really windy putting because i want to just try to get it up around the hole outside of i would say eight to ten feet i mean i'm i'm more focused on speed and i happen to make it great but i'm not trying to roll in anything outside of 10 feet with with pace i'm trying to get it as close to the hole as possible to eliminate three putts because golf's going to be hard enough that day that if you can eliminate three putts that's a great way to start and chipping let, let i would me, say let, can, can i ask you quickly on putting this is actually i'm glad you took us on this tangent <laughs> grip grip strength grip pressure in general 
Um, what is what do you kind of recommend as a baseline for 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 people putting? And does that how, does that change? You know, the, the, how tightly or, or, or softly or loosely you're gripping the putter, and why does that change? I would always be at a, anywhere between a two out of four out of ten. I never would be more than four. I would never be less than two. So very light, soft pressure. Okay, mm-hmm. I grip it about the same every day. It doesn't matter if it's windy, raining, or cold or whatever. It's to me that should always be fairly constant because it it's you know the thing that drives it besides your upper body and your big muscles. Um. But uh, as that as that kind of goes with with the putter, that's um, it's important as as you kind of get into pitching, because I, I'll, I'll mention putting again. When you get into pitching, you, you always want to be looking at where can I be pitching back into the breeze? Mm. So like when you're hitting your second shots into the green and it's sometimes that's not a possibility with where the whole location's located or how hard the wind might be blowing to where it's like almost impossible or you're taking on too much trouble. But. I'm always looking at where can I get the uphill chip and on the chip shots, I'm looking at where can I get the best look for the putt. And that's, I know that sounds standard, but mm-hmm. where's the best look for the putt with a wind direction? Because sometimes, you know, where you leave it, I don't want to have the the wind blowing off my back and a left or right putt mm-hmm. because that I, I already don't like left or right putts and, and really any wind off my back will make me feel like I have to get it started further left, which for me, I'm much more comfortable starting it out further right than I am left. So I'm looking at that while I'm pitching. But then as we kind of move to the back on the tee boxes, that's where, you know, getting it in play is so important and it, and it always is. But knowing where the whole location is to start is is very important because on a super super downwind hole on a hole that you may always hit driver on it may be smart for you to take wait what's hit our three iron off this tee because we're probably going to have a nine iron in anyways and hitting a nine iron straight downwind is so easy to do because the ball doesn't move off move offline why would we hit driver to take on more trouble when really it's it's smart just to get it in play and and i think some people play downwind holes too aggressively um, when it's like super, super downwind. And I was playing with Phil Mickelson at the AT&T. And uh, you'll laugh at this because <laughs> we were playing on a crazy windy day at, at Monterey. Yeah. And I'm putting like those greens can be really, really bad when it's wet and raining. And they were not good that day. And I wasn't making anything. But we had the, the beginning of that round. We're playing the downwind holes. And we're about to turn around to play the end of the wind holes. And Phil's like kind of holding court with our pro-am group telling the ams that we just need to play these downwind holes well and then when we get to the end of the wind holes we just need to hang on and just play really smart and and pars a good score and then i looked at my scorecard i'm like shoot i'm already four over on these downwind holes like i'm about to be in big time trouble like and he i don't know if he was kind of referring to me as he said this like jokingly but you know he's one to always kind of hold court so it, it, and it holds really true. It's like downwind holes you want to you want to take advantage of, but to a degree you want to play them smart because you you can't afford to make bogeys on them. Um, yeah. But then off the tee, I, I would say the finding a shot just to get it in play when it's into the breeze, and most of the time it's teeing the ball down, um, and 
and really just the iron shots as well. Just because it's all you're trying to do is control the golf ball and how much spin is on it. So you want to bring spin down of a golf ball and you want to first, the, the best way to do it is to bring the flight down. And so to bring the flight down, a lot of times what you have to do is you have to either take more club. So that's one way to do it. Mm-hmm. You can shorten your swing or you can swing slower. Mm-hmm. For the most part, that's the way to do it. And then setup wise, you could you can choke down on it. You can stand closer to it. Uh, those are two ways to get the ball down. Um, and for the most part, that's playing in wind. And, and besides, you know, just not playing that day. Uh, that's the general core strategy is is, you know, play the downwind holes well, but conservatively enough to not make bogeys. Don't be aggressive on lag putts and learn how to control your golf ball to take spin off of it in the wind. And I'm sorry, I got on this tangent. I just was thinking about this this week after playing in these heavy winds and people probably play across the across the country and the world in in conditions like this that have no idea what they're doing. And and, and it's fair because the pros that we think we do, but it's still it's it's never fun and easy. I mean, selfishly. I'm over here, like getting ready to clip this audio and then play it subconsciously as I sleep when I'm down in Florida to make sure, like, <laughs> don't do anything dumb. I mean, I feel like I, I'm, I'm a high ball hitter, uh, you know, just from years of, of playing baseball and things like that, just the way my swing is. And um, so I, I really struggle in windy conditions for that reason. And I think of all the things you said, the thing that resonates the most is like maybe trying to hit that that chippy version of a club, just taking more club and just taking like a, a slower swing and just kind of, kind of trying to hold the finish. And I, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm executing it in the way that maybe you or another tour pro would advise or envision in terms of the best way to do it um, to really go on a tangent here. And then we can, of course, pull it back to topical stuff. I wonder if when we get down the road a few years with this rollback, if we were so focused on the distance aspect of it, but I'm just curious how they're going to change the ball performance to fit within the testing standards. And a lot of you know people who are smart on this topic have said that they're going to have to add spin back in the ball. And I wonder if that's going to be the real kind of knock on effect of if you have to take a spinny ball out in windy conditions where we were kind of spoiled at this point, like we have all these low spin ball options right now and you have to go out and play a spinny ball in the wind. We might arrive right back where you started, where if I'm a amateur player and I'm looking outside and it's blowing, I'm like, ah, I'm just going to stay inside because I got no chance at keeping that thing on the planet. If it's, if it's already going to spin more because of the wind, but now the ball has to spin more to, to fit underneath a certain set of parameters. Like, that, that I think is a, a, a real uh, shrink the game possibility, so to speak. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, that to me is, is the first thing that struck me is like, I don't know the distance is going to be the biggest drawback of this ball thing as much as like added spin could be a huge game changer for amateur players. And pros. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that would be, it would really be frustrating if the numbers that we saw are going to be inaccurate because if the, what the USGA said is that it's going to be like nine to 12 yards of distance change for the, for the pros, but really not a ton of change for the amateurs. But then I see reports on some players that have already done some ball testing yeah. in the rollback conditions. And they've said they've lost up to 30, 40 yards. And to me, I don't know Did if you that's, see the Lucas Glover thing. With yeah, the, the and, and, balls? and maybe that's oh on goodness. the, on the very far end of, of how yeah. they created the golf ball, because I'm sure there's going to be some, you know, some trial and errors on, on how to make these balls, because guess what? I mean, <laughs> it's 
I'm sure it's not an exact science because they've been on so far on one end of the spectrum to go all the way back and and figure out how to get these testing numbers to be in the correct window. Listen, that that would be extremely because I I when we had this rollback discussion the other day, I was thinking, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Um, but if it's if it's that extreme, to me that that would be. I am not for that. I'm I'm maybe for eight to ten yards. Like that doesn't bother me. But listen, it on a cold day when it when the balls in San Diego drives will go sometimes two hundred sixty yards because it's cold and and windy and wet. Listen, if we change the ball, I mean that could be going two thirty, and that to me is that that's for the pros, you know, like if right. Amber was playing that day, that, that ball is going 190, 200. Well, and, and I think that, and I'm going to do my, my best here to make a, a really awkward segue from this to the PNG PNC championship, but I can't think wait to that, listen to this one. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's see if we can pull it off. I, I mean, to me, I think it, it's going to have to be a reframing of your mindset around like, why do I play this game and how do I get enjoyment out of it? And I know like for me, it's like, I'm fine moving up a a set of tees and you know, it's going to be, I think no matter who you are and what your goals are on the game, it's going to be tough if your scores go up, but maybe there's something you can find as part of that challenge that's gratifying of like, wow, this is a really spinny ball, but I've really practiced hard and I've learned how to control, you know, I learned how to work the ball in a way that maybe I, I, you know, couldn't do or wasn't able to do before with the way that the, 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 the previous modern ball was set up. And now I've learned this skill that while it may not contribute to a better score, feels gratifying in the context of playing this game that there are just so many different you know challenges and things that, that make you love it. And so here's my big segue here is that moving to the PNC this week, uh, that was what I felt like was so cool about watching this tournament. Uh, you know, a lot of people called it a timeline cleanser. And I really felt like there was just, there's so much that we focus on in the big professional version of the game of golf. Um, that's all very important and in, in the business of it, and just all these things that we couldn't possibly think that we, you know, would be talking about or having to break down on this podcast over this past year, but here we are and we're doing it. And this weekend, I mean, every year it's like this, but in particular, Listening to Annika Sornstam and her son, Will McGee, uh, after their round on Sunday, just both like in tears. I don't think I've ever seen Annika that emotional ever in my entire life at, you know, finishing up and, and Will talking about how this is his favorite part of, of the entire year and the, the most important thing in his life. And, you know, Annika almost crying, talking about, you know, Will asking her to slow down on the 18th fairway because he wanted to enjoy the moment with her. I mean, that to me was such a cool reminder of, you know, what, you know, what is important about this game and and the ways in which it can be, you know, additive and valuable and meaningful outside of just the, where are the top pros playing golf and how much money are they getting paid and, and, and this, that, and the other. So I don't know what your reflections were on. Of course, the big one we're gonna have to talk about is just, you know, Tiger's performance and, you know, what, what we can gain from this weekend in terms of, you know, how he'll play 2024 and of course playing with Charlie. But to me that, that just struck me as like, man, I love this game so much. And I, I, you know, as someone who has a one-year-old son and i push him around on a stroller on the course. Like I just, I just, this, this tournament's one of my favorites every single year for that reason. It just reminds you how important the family side of this, of this game is. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think Claire Rogers said it best on Twitter. I've, like just kind of recapping the week, protect Will, uh, <laughs> Will yeah, McGee at all, at all costs. At all costs. <laughs> and so, he's so cute. I, I showed Francie the video as well. And she was like tearing up too, watching it. So, yeah, no, it's, it was a good palate cleanser when we talk about just all the crazy stuff that's going on in the game of golf. And I didn't get a chance to watch a ton of it because I was playing in these same conditions, not too far away from them. <laughs> um, right. So, but I, I did catch a lot of the Charlie Woods clips. I did see, uh, team Duvall play very well, which yeah. his son, uh, Brady, I believe is his first same i saw a couple of his golf swings and looked up and he's going to coastal carolina looks like and very very impressive golf swings um saw the longers one uh looked like the woods had a big day on sunday but uh it seems like you watched a little more what was your takeaways from the week yeah i mean i so i thought that that coming into the week obviously uh you know tiger and charlie always a big storyline i mean i i I, I definitely had a, a, a personal interest and connection to the Annika storyline because I produce her show and it was really fun. And, 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 you know, depending on when you're listening to this podcast on Tuesday night, they're going to have a show airing that uh, will interviewed a number of different will interviewed. Not only Charlie was, but he interviewed Justin Thomas. Justin was so great with will and, and was, you know, really answered his questions in a, like gave it, you know, in a thoughtful way and asked Will some questions. Um, That's and awesome. He, he talked to Stephen Izzy Stricker, Will did, uh, John Daly, Lee Trevino. Um, <laughs> and it was cool. And, and and every one of those interviews, he he ended with a question of, you know, what advice would you give to like a 12-year-old like me who is trying to kind of get into this game and, you know, improve, you know, maybe become a pro, whatever. And they each gave such a different, thoughtful answer and and again this this just goes back to what i love about this week and this is less about the competition but just it just for each of them to sit there and, and impart you know justin talking about the struggles he's been through this past year and how the greatest players in the game find a way to to turn those into positive and keep a good mindset and mm -hmm. and and I, I thought that was super cool and and you know lee had a great answer as did john daly just all these guys but i think you know in terms of the competition for the week yeah i mean Tiger talked a lot about um, just getting those reps in a competitive setting, you know, this different from playing money games at home. And so how the last couple of weeks also playing at the hero were good for him just to kind of assess, Hey, this is what it's going to be like if I'm back to playing a, you know, once a month tournament schedule in 2024, how is the body feeling? And, and I think that the recovery, the, the, the pre and post, you know, prep and, and, and rehab work for him is still, it's still a lot of time. And I think that's forever going to be his challenge, you know, at this stage in his life. Um, the thing with Tiger that, and, and some people have started to pick up on this, but I just love this so much. It's like, every time we hear him talk, he keeps dropping these hints about the champions tour. You know, it's like, it was so great seeing these champions tour guys because, I don't get to see him often. And and these guys are really my peers, you know? And, mm -hmm. and, and so, and you know, a couple of years, it'll be nice to be out with them. And I, I feel like, I don't know that we're, we're missing the, the flags here or, or missing the boat on this, but there is a very real chance that tiger might play. I don't, I don't know what the champions tour schedule will look like, but he might play several champions tour events when he gets to that age, because he'll feel, he'll feel comfortable taking the cart. Because as he said over and over again, these are his buddies. These are his contemporaries and peers. Um, and because it's competition. And I feel like, I mean, can you imagine the, the value of the Champions Tour TV contract? What it's going to be if Tiger plays even five Champions Tour events? 
Like if he plays like the senior majors and a few others, it's going to be, it's going to be un- like, it could do, you know, in the same way that he completely moved the needle for the PGA tour, he'll, he could do the same thing for the champions tour. That to me is so wild. To me, the champions tour being at 50 years old, I, I, I kind of think it should be at 45 anyways. I know he's 47 years old. Um, He's got to be turning. Is he turning 48 soon? I think he's turning 40. He's either turning 46 or 47 at the end of this month. His birthday is December 30th, 47 now. Yeah. I think he's about to turn 48. Listen, I I think there's plenty of, of players. Now, if you just look down the list at, at guys that are eight aged around 45 years old to, you know, that 48 that are just waiting for the champions tour. Yeah. Um, You know, there's, there's very few players that have made it all the way to 50 years old and still play on the PGA tour. It's, it's, it's like a lifetime time achievement award if you're able to do that, because it's so difficult to play at that age and compete with all the young talent. And I think it's, you know, the Stuart sinks of the world and to, for them to keep their car as long as they did and, and still be able to compete at their age, just like, Holy, I mean, it, it's really impressive, but I think it would be a shot in the arm, obviously, if Tiger was able to play on the Champions Tour. But man, if you if you kick that thing back five years, I think you would have a much more compelling product when you have some players that are are just waiting around to play. And, you know, I think they would argue that they probably are not long enough or not in good enough you know, shaped compared to these younger guys anyways, compete regularly on the PGA tour year in, year out. And they're later in their career. They have families. And I think the champs tour should get going earlier um, in the year, but I know I'm sure there's (laughs) plenty of guys that had to wait it out. That would probably disagree with that, but that's just kind of my opinion. Well, no, I I think, I think it's a fair one. And I think that's a suggestion that needs to be looked at. And really (laughs) in the same way that we just, did a whole year of uh, really two years of, of structure and format upheaval on the PGA tour, you know, to accommodate the you know outside market forces live tour and, 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 you know, an increased interest in the game. Um, if tiger decides to play some meaningful amount of events on that tour, I think they're going to have to go through the same thing because, you know, again, and this is listening to people who are, maybe more plugged in on that tour than me on our, on, you know, PGA tour radio and otherwise just saying that the way that tour is currently set up, you need to do a little bit of house cleaning. Like there are guys on that tour that have kept their car for probably too many years. And kind of to your point, it, it, it depends on what you're trying to do with that tour, who you're trying to serve. But if you're trying to make it a compelling entertainment product in the way that tiger will, you know, moving up that, age to 45 to get more new blood in early and kind of get them hooked on on the competition and making for more compelling um competition early on you know and and then also reformatting for whatever you know when, when tiger arrives what that's going to look like and what that's going to do to change the nature of those those events i mean that's something i mean it's it's Dude, I, I, I just i just thought in my head i mean as you're talking about this, can you imagine if, if like the Champions Tour went to like a team format? <laughs> Just thinking like in my head, like, you know, some of these guys being on the same team and maybe that would make it. I don't know. I, I think people were kind of over the team concept, but well, like, um, I, I, or just the discussions of it. Not, right. not that it can't work, but. Just when, when you say that, it makes me think of like, can you imagine like live champions where like they have these like decked out golf carts, like over the top, super nice golf cars, <laughs> like, like this, the champions tour, but with like way more money infused, uh, you know, I, 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 
it it does make me it does make me laugh a little bit. They they did just do that World Champions Cup that which I I, I thought it was really cool. They did a uh, um you know they combined it was like a Team USA, Team Europe, and Team International. So essentially a fusion of the Ryder Cup and Presidents Cup formats for at a seniors level. And then they it was a very confusing scoring format, but you know good on them for trying something out. But basically they had it, six sums. And each team was playing two different matches at the same time and earning points. They played all nine holes. So I'm sure they'll have format tweaks going forward. But I think that that, that's another thing is like you can be an incubator for different ideas on that tour, you know, given that it's not like the the featured tour. So worth trying stuff like that out. And if it sticks, then you're the one that innovated it. And people are interested. Uh, It's it's much more easy. Like to me, it's. They've they've tested concepts and stuff out more on the Corn Ferry tour because it, yeah. it it plays more to the modern game. But I see what you're saying. I mean, can you imagine just the trophy uh presentations with the champagne and the fireworks of the champions tour? I'm sure that would uh, for them would probably be more of a, a nice Pinot uh, glass of wine and and lights out at eight thirty, but it's yeah. Right. <laughs> It well, doesn't I mean, really play quite as much. But the thing, the thing is, in, in this, I can't believe we spent this much time on the Champions Tour. And I, I, I kind of <laughs> love it. I kind of love it. Like, if you look at, I, I have to pull up the exact money list, but Steve Stricker this last year on the Champions Tour earned more than double than the second place finisher on the money list. Like, Steve Stricker had a, an, a statistically insane year on the champions tour. And so I guess my point there being is that, and he, and, and the year before Steven Alker, who really didn't have much of a PGA tour career, but kind of came on and, you know, later in life, it's like, there are some, actually some, some interesting storylines and compelling players. And if you move that down to 45, like who knows, dude, if you move that down to 45 and tiger went early, cause he was dealing, you know, but still play, still played the majors at, at the, at the regular levels, you know, still played the masters, the U S open, you know, open championship, all that, but also played a senior tier circuit that was, had meaningful value, um, you know, because, because there was TV contract interest cause tigers playing stuff like that. Like, does that keep Phil Mickelson from going to live? I don't know. Probably not. That's probably a pie in the sky thing. But if there was like this sort of runway in for these guys who are, who were kind of past it, on on the regular tour I, and as i say that obviously phil still won a major you know at an advanced stage but i, I don't know i mean I, I just i think there's something there and clearly there is a demographic that consumes golf you know content that is older than a traditional you know sports tv demo so it's like it's worth serving that audience whatever that looks like so i i this is amazing i i did not see this conversation coming no, yeah, when did the year? To the next topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, but yeah, cool, cool week at the PNC, and, and hoping to see you know a lot of those, a lot of those teams run it back. Uh, Steven Izzy Stricker, that's that was a fun one to see as well. She was super pumped to play with Nelly Corda and play with Tiger. That was super cool. So let's get back to the the grit and the grind of golf business because that's the most fun thing in the world to to go over. And there there was some. Uh, I don't know if breaking news is, is the right term, but on Friday, there are reports that the, the PGA Tour is, is imminent, imminently uh, completing a deal with this strategic sports group, uh, this consortium of, of billionaire team owners, you know, uh, owners of the Red Sox, the, the Atlanta Falcons, the Boston Celtics that would infuse more than $3 billion in a new for-profit uh, entity, PGA Tour Enterprises. And so couple things about that report is that 
it, it's interesting to see that nearing the finish line. Um, but it also is interesting that the talks will continue with the PIF and, and that as part of this report that I saw on ESPN, it, it means that more than 7 billion could be infused into PGA tour enterprises. I mean, just at, at face value, smiley, that feels like a big win for the tour based on some of the places we, we felt like we were of late of wondering if, if it could even continue to exist in the face of a threat like live. It's just chess move after chess move from each side. And crazy. I think a lot of a lot of people that follow this think that that uh, that the tour has been not making the moves. And and when they do make proper moves like this, bringing in private equity in, which is a shot in the arm, I think, for the tour. Uh, it's very good to have private equity interest because I think a lot of folks after John Rahm left would have said, you know what? I guarantee you private equity now is probably a little scared to do a deal with the PGA Tour. And it was good to see that really nobody had lost too much interest. It didn't change anything about their level of involvement that they wanted to have with the PGA Tour. Um, like you said, seems imminent. Um, it's, that's awesome. You know, just to be able mm -hmm. to to be able to take that to now the Saudis and say, hey, listen, this is what we have here coming in from private equity and, and the Fenway group. And, um, and here's all the investors with that group that they're, they're involved in the NFL and they're involved in all these sports, uh, different franchises. And, and that has to be a good look for the PGA tour. And the fact that they have very successful, um, sports league owners that have been there, done that. Um, and it definitely, you know, when they're able to take that to the Saudis now, it's, it's not like, because all this seems to me is it's just who's got more leverage in these negotiations. Mm -hmm. And to me, I think the PGA tour is trying to be in a position to say, Hey, listen, it's, 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 this is the option. Like, it's not like this, this, or this, like, Hey, if you want to be involved, you can match up to what the private equity group is doing. And um, to me, it, I don't, I don't know what the initial framework agreement was. You might be able to clear this up for me was, was the PIF, supposed to be like a 50 50 investor in the pga tour was that was that about is that right it, it, you know what it, it was it's funny because there were so many i want to say there were so many different iterations of what was reported on that framework agreement i think even the documents were leaked at one point i think the the biggest thing that i saw was that they had a right of first refusal mm. on additional investment and so i wonder how that changes. I, I mean, I think there's reporting that that's that structure remains in place. But again, like it was a framework deal, which means that theoretically anything could change or, or be adjusted. Mm -hmm. I think you make a really good point there about just um, leverage and, and, and the different types of leverage, you know, and, and that it, it could be a, a dollar amount. It could be a player moving, but it could also be something that's, you know, uh, uh, maybe less tangible in the sense of like, you know, this is how much money they have, or this is who they're taking, but also just the people involved. And I think I saw no laying up point this out uh, uh, originally on, on Twitter slash X. Um, and I thought it was a really, really good point. And I think that the, the advantage the tour has with this strategic sports group being involved is as we know, you know, the, the PIF has this, this vision to, to invest in all different sorts of, 
you know, sports leagues. And, and I think they've, they've done it in tennis to a certain extent. They want to get involved in basketball. And of course, we're talking about a group that includes some some NFL owners, some MLB owners. And I'm not sure the extent of, of the Saudi interest in those yet, but that this partnership offers an ability for the PIF to kind of cozy up to these owners and, and, and have some sort of a meaningful business relationship via this PGA tour enterprises, you know, entity that's being created. And so look like, I, you know, I don't know that it's worth getting into like the, whether or not we think that that's right from a, a social perspective, you know, on this podcast, I think there's been a lot said about that by a lot of other people. And, and, you know, I just think from the perspective of, golly, I really want to see the PGA tour continue to survive and thrive. And that this has been a very tricky negotiation and subject to approach over this past you know couple of years. And if what has happened here is that the, the leverage is, Hey, you know, PIF, we want you to kind of come in and play within our ecosystem. And there could be rewards in a different space for you and different sports for you. But you have to kind of play by the rules of the golf ecosystem and and keep these, you know, these things that we feel are important to the game of golf in place. I don't know if it's a win or loss for those other sports and those other teams, and those other leagues. But I know that that's a win for golf, American golf and PGA Tour golf. And, and you know, selfish, selfish as it may be, that's kind of what I'm focused on right now. So um, I, I think this is this has to feel like good news. Oh, definitely. And, and there was no. uh the chess move with the the live golf tour announcing John Rom the same day that all the bids were due to the PGA tour for the, mm-hmm. for the policy board and uh, the board of directors to, to review. I mean, that's, that, that's a huge, you know, chess piece in all of this. And, and it's kind of funny. You mentioned all of the, the sports owners that are, that are a part of that group and, you know, is the PGA tour, the middleman for, for them entering, you know, football, basketball, where if, if that's what golf is now, is that we're just the, you know, just the means uh, to be able to get to another sport. Uh, that's about where we're at in the sure. game of golf right now. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's funny because I think that there have been a lot of smart comments on this in, in, you know, the past few you know weeks and months, like Frank Navalo went on Gary Williams, five clubs podcast and pointed out, you know, that there is, maybe a greater, you know, worldwide interest in like the game of volleyball from a TV ratings perspective than golf. And so, you know, it feels like we are in a, in a bubble of sorts. Now, look, it's a bubble of, you know, it wouldn't exist if if the Saudis and others didn't see some sort of value proposition spending money on golf. Now what that value proposition is, you know, that is remains unclear to a certain extent. You know, a lot of people will tell you that's, sports washing and and you know and i you know i I, i'm not saying i disagree with that i'm just saying i'm not going to sit here and try to parse that out for you on this podcast what i do know is is that there is a lot of interest in infusing money in the game of golf and that this that this you know if if it ends up where you're middlemanning investment into other sports and it's kind of a nice summation of like hey maybe this is like the level of importance that the game of golf has and that's fine whatever it takes to get it done to where you know, we can we can and, and I'd hope that that part of what happens is, you know, these strategic sports group partners can impress upon the Saudis the the importance of like, hey, we you know, we don't want to kind of overrun like we we like the current PGA tour and and we are willing to kind of work live into this ecosystem in some way, shape, or form, but we want to protect the sanctity of certain tournaments and competitions and things that are important to us. And and the hope would be then that 
on the PIS side, they say, hmm, maybe we didn't necessarily want that in the first place. We wanted it to look all like team golf and all like our events. But guess what? You know, what's more important is getting like a minority share in the Milwaukee Bucks or something. You know, so like uh, so cool. We're, we're willing to kind of let that one slide uh, for the prospect of future investment in other places. And so if that's what happens here. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, you know, I, I, I will time will tell. But this feels encouraging uh, in the face of a lot of stuff that has not felt encouraging. So, well, I, I think just to put a, a bow on this topic, I mean, I think what we're looking for to happen, obviously, we're following the news cycle. But where can we land potentially in 2025 to where the golf fan wins, the players win and both sides in these negotiations also win? And to me, is there a path to that happening to where everybody wins in this? The networks win. Um, yes and no. First, first off, all the players need to be playing against each other more often. So the fans win. I would say the players win besides the players that potentially might not be getting into the bigger events because live players are coming back. So that to me, maybe some players would be a little upset about how the hierarchy might go depending on priority rankings with these players coming back and, and also taking their money. And, and then, I mean, there's just, there's an issue I think that might still render a little bit from the player side on, Mm -hmm. on, on these players coming back, but there's, there's going to be an equity piece in the new PGA tour for profit for the players. And maybe there's a structure in which the PGA tour players that are there now are probably going to be get a bigger piece of this pie as well as the other players that are still stuck on the PGA tour stuck with the tour. And maybe these live players can come back, but they're not allowed to own any equity in this new PGA tour until X date or whatever it is. Um, Maybe that's how you sort the money out, but how the team concept thing would work. Shoot. It wouldn't it be great to have a, some type of, global tour that we know has a i don't know it, it's hard to picture right now but all these players playing against each other let's say but outside of the majors 12 times a little bit more on the global side has a team component to it and not only is it just the live players but it's also the best players that we have on the tour okay now when is it going to be is it going to be during the Bay Hill tournament? Is it going to be during the Memorial? I mean, talking about our legacy events over here on the tour, are we going to try to wash that type of concept in with the original medalist individual stroke play, which is so important to uh, the history and the legacies of those events? Maybe, I don't know. But to me, it seems like the fall would be where mm-hmm. I, I've heard that, that that's where the, maybe the team concept would go. But I don't think anybody wins there. I don't think the players really want to be playing a, a full tour with the teams in the fall. Uh, that seems like it doesn't make sense going up against football and just all the conversations of, of really just the players like having an offseason. And why would you want to go up against football anyways? These players would rather watch Red Zone anyways in the fall. So that's going to be a tricky thing to to navigate as we move forward is for 2025 is are these players going to be back? Can the fan win? Can these sides win? And um, I know there's a ton more to touch in on that, but that's yeah. kind of just my thoughts on just the the current ecosystem. 
I mean, if only the PGA Tour had started to form four-man teams with investors for team competition that could easily be folded into a four-man team competition with Liv. If only we had started to work on that in some meaningful way. Oh, wait, we have. TGL. Let's just combine the two. I mean, that that's, that's a slam dunk. Like, I, I just feel like... I don't know. I mean, we'll we'll see what the future iterations of this are. But I think I think that's a you make a good point there. Like, I think that obviously the majors are going away and there are some legacy events that probably need to be protected. Uh, Padraig Harrington had an interesting suggestion about the players championship needing to include live players because truly, you know, to make it truly the best players in the world, the strongest field in the world. So, I, I you know, I, I, I would like to see the. You know, the, those player hosted invitationals, you know, the 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 Genesis, you know, the API, the Memorial kind of remain similar to what they were before because they hold historic context. But I can see any and, and I also think, too, that, you know, that I, I hear what you're saying on the fall. And, and also, I get that a lot of these guys are going to want to keep some form of a schedule, you know, to, to kind of gear up to play the best for majors to win these legacy events because that's how they define themselves in terms of you know their career in golf and and whether or not they're getting better and improving these things but yeah i wonder how much the financial realities of these things are going to just force uh hey you know it's it's going to be like soccer like a year-round cup competition i mean like shoot we just saw the nba try to adopt something similar to that with their own in-season tournament where they're playing games that aren't don't have any bearing on their regular season at least their regular playoffs but it mirrors that sort of, you know, cup competitions, you know, thing that we've seen work so well on an international stage in soccer. And I wonder that, you know, if the team competition, it's like, hey, guys, you know, we're just going to have to sprinkle these throughout the year. And some of them, you know, you might have to play like once a month in the fall, like maybe not ideal, but like maybe better than having to play multiple weeks, you know, in a month in the fall. And like during our regular season, maybe like one of those tournament dates a week is going to be this team event. And maybe not completely ideal for gearing you up for, for majors, but like, I just, I, you know, there are only so many weekends on the calendar. Right. And I just wonder how, where it fits, you know, in terms of television interest and, and, you know, all that type of stuff. But again, I mean, this is, these are all just. Well, let me ask you this. What, sure. what does, does the team concept, if it had the same type of meaning as watching a player win, who is it changes the outcome or it changes his life it uh he makes more money like similar to a a rookie winning on the pga tour for the first time if if there were storylines like that in the team concept would you be interested as a golf fan i would say that like the team thing for me isn't interesting for me right now but I'm not ruling that out forever because I think that I think the thing to me that that is most interesting about shoot anything in life, but specific to golf is like, it's nice learning about and unpacking these human beings. And I think like in the context of the show, and we're about to talk about one of the guys we had on Victor Hovland, but like Victor Hovland, Ludwig Ober, like, of course I admire their golf games, but I'm also learning things about them as a human being through the lens of golf. And so the thing that I could see being compelling for me, as a fan of, of golf through a team context, it'd be how these guys are interacting as teammates and, 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 you know, how their relationships changing and the content that they're, that they're providing through this, this competition that I don't I don't know if that's going to be compelling or not in the future. Like to date on live from what I've seen, I don't find it very compelling in, in an ecosystem where all 
the players are involved from, from a professional standpoint. We're all pulling the same rope and there are, you know, uh, you know, money backing it and a focus on it, you know, unilaterally from the golf world on the, on these dates in the calendar, maybe it could be compelling. Um, so, you know, I, I guess I'm kind of dodging the question there, but I guess I'm saying like right now that isn't a draw for me, but I also kind of understand that we're in a timeline where golf viewership is changing and evolving and I'm not the only target demo. There's a demo that exists above me and below me. And so if, to keep this whole thing together, team golf has to exist in some meaningful format. I'm willing to give it a shot and long-term say, okay, maybe I do find this compelling at the point in which it becomes compelling. But like right now, it's like, I would like to save the things that I know are compelling to me, those major tournaments and not alter those in any way, shape or form. And then find a way to kind of, bake in the team concept over time until we really feel like it's reached the form where it is. Okay. Now I care about this. Now let's look at marquee dates and make it a big part of the calendar. I just don't see how it reaches every level of the tour because there's so many different levels. I mean, we, we just talked about the champions tour. We talked about the corn fairy tour. I mean, these are all, you know, this, this is the, the economics of what professional golf has always looked mm-hmm. like. And I don't, I don't think we're going to really ever get back to that for quite some time. And I think we will eventually get back to the ladder it takes to get to the PGA tour. I just think there's an extra step now to get to the team golf concept, because I have no idea how you incorporate a, a team concept in the open events on the PGA tour, because so many of these top players, you know, hardly play many of the uh, open, open events as we see it now because of, uh, the commitments they have to play in into the signature events. So I, I think the storyline side of it, if you somehow were able to get, you know, guys that are, you know, their lives are changing on winning these, these team concept mm-hmm. events. That's great. I just don't see how you do it because I'm not interested in seeing a team of 12 dudes because it's too hard to keep up with the networks would um, it would, they would struggle to be able to, to keep tabs on that for the viewer because you want it to be simple for people to understand who's on whose team. And to me, if, if, if you already don't know who the player is as a, as a fan, and then you tell them that, Hey, they're on this, this team this week, that that's confusing. So I, I think there's a lot to figure out with that. And I, I do think the, that it's just going to have to be a, a, another step in a, in a ladder to be able to get to this top level, which, which we're eventually going to get into with how difficult yeah. that might be for guys. Yeah. I, the, the very fair point there is like, what we we forget about all these other things like, you know, in soccer, basketball is like, those are all set up for, those are all set up for, you know, team settings, right? Yes. yes. Like this is golf has never been a, it's an individual sport. And so therefore, um, yeah, it's, it's weird to, if it's a closed shop and guys can't play their way into these teams, it's, it's, it's a weird, it's a tough one. Um, as he's moving on from that to a uh, friend of the show, friend of the pod, Victor Hovland, who had some some very interesting comments. Uh, I think interesting is one word for it. I think um, amusingly uh, and brutally honest uh, Scandinavian is maybe another way to put it. Uh, but he, he spoke with a, a uh, Norwegian golf podcast, as I understand it, called Four. Uh, and on the one hand had some kind of scathing critiques of the PGA tour, but on the other had a 
I guess also a scathing critique of the live format and saying that he'll never go. Um, so let's just kind of start with the first piece of, of uh, the critique of the PGA tour. And so he was asked about John Rahm leaving for live golf. And he said, it would be a bit silly to criticize the players for leaving. After all, you only hear one angle in the media and there are quite a few different parts happening at the same time here. I totally understand why he left. That's a lot, a lot of money. And at least when the management of the PGA Tour has done such a bad job. Just to be clear, I'm not complaining about the position I'm in and I'm very grateful for everything, but the management has not done a good job. They almost see the players as labor and not as part of the members. After all, we are the PGA Tour without the players there is nothing when you get to see what happens behind closed doors, how the management actually makes decisions, which are not in the player's best interest, but but best for themselves and what they think is best. They are businessmen who say who say that, no, it should look like this and that there's a great deal of arrogance behind it all. So before we get to Vic's comments on live, I just want to stop there. And I'm curious, given what you've heard, given the guys you've talked to who are very involved in you know, the decision-making aspect of negotiating with strategic sports group and others, and just kind of forming, shaping the the future of the PGA tour. How do, how do Victor Hovland's comments land for you? Who do you see these being the biggest critique of, and, and where, where do you see him kind of, you know, falling in terms of agreement internally with guys who are working on the future of the PGA tour? You know, I was kind of surprised to see the comments and the fact that we don't ever really see Victor taking a stance one way or another on anything with, yeah. he just kind of plays golf and, you know, answers <laughs> questions that comes away. Maybe it's because everybody else has been answering the questions and he hasn't, you know, had to uh, really touch on a ton and just focus on playing golf, which good for him. I mean, that's, that's the way I would do it too, but uh, I think fair critiques on both sides, you know, it's kind of the same stuff that everybody's really been saying, but we haven't seen really a top player in the world. Um, like, well, actually, yeah, we have, but uh, that's been pro PGA tour to really criticize the PGA tour management. And the fact that, you know, we're not, we're not just labor out here, you know, we are the product, this, uh, it is a player run tour. And I think that's what they're trying to get back to, but she didn't really reference the the good stuff that has been happening more just so that what I uh, probably more the stuff that happened this entire year with just the management and how the players weren't informed. And, and that's something that we'll always continue to talk about. But as it pertains to live, I mean, listen, we we've seen this on Twitter. I mean, we don't know the answers, whether Victor Hovland was saying on the PGA tour is, I mean, this was a week or two ago. You know, you start to have to wonder and question is like, man, is he going to go? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, those reports start coming out from these random uh, Twitter groups that, you know, sometimes they've gotten it right. Sometimes they haven't. You're thinking to yourself, crap, they can't afford to lose John Rom, Then Victor Hovland, that, that that's just another uh, leverage piece for for live golf tour, which uh, would have to force some type of merger, which hopefully we we get to anyways one day. Um, as they continue to negotiate these terms. But yeah, I think him criticizing the format kind of similar to what we saw with John Rahm uh, saying that, you know, I, I think that it's 150 guys in a cut is a uh, much better way to judge professional golf as a whole. Um, I, I, he's not the first person to say that we saw Rom kind of say that in one way, shape or form, but he still took the money, but also talked about how he didn't really criticize the players for going. So 
maybe it tells you he has had conversations on what that number might be and he's considered doing it. But I don't see how he is in a position to go. It just doesn't say, make sense to me. Um, that would be a very high risk situation for him not knowing how many majors he would be exempt into for, I mean, I would say at his world ranking now, maybe he would be in the majors through the next two years, but outside of that, he'd probably drop out of the top 50. Um, but I, I have a hard time believing the world golf ranking doesn't get adjusted two years from now that we're not going to have some type of balance in, in how we rank players because right now it's so tilted towards the PGA tour with no, with the live golf rankings receiving no points. And I mean, I think the longest time the argument was that these players were washed up. They knew the risks they were taking. And yes, but also look at the run that some of these live golf players have been on um, this off season. I mean, Louis always stays in winning the last couple of weeks and on the DP world tour, same with um, live players have won the last five DP world tour events at the time. Yeah. It was the weeks before that was, was Dean, Dean right? Dean Burmester. I don't know if I'm saying his last name, right? Burmester. Um, Yeah. It it was him twice. It was Louis twice. And then who am I forgetting? Was it Charles Schwartz or Henny Duplessis? Maybe I'm not sure. I I, I have to go back. Yeah. But yeah, but, Five that's, in a row. That, that's playing good golf. Uh, I just want to read the comp. The 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 Joaquin Neiman you, winning. Um, that Australia that might have been well. the other one. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, let me just. I just want to read that quote for you that you referenced because uh, this is the other thing that, that Victor said when asked about live is you need the competition mm-hmm. with 150 players in a cut. If you don't play well enough, you're out. There's something about it that makes your game a little sharper. If I had gone to live, I don't think I would have become a better golfer. And then it is in a way the end of discussion. And then he goes on to say, but I can't blame people who make that decision and go over there. Then we have to try to find an arrangement in the end. We'll see. And so I, you know, just reflecting on what you just said, I think, you know, I agree with all of that really. I mean, I think at at face value, I'm reading these comments. I'm trying to understand, you know, is he upset with the current set of people negotiating, you know, but, but then I think this is, I think, yeah, I I think it's all going back to June 6th stuff. And so you got to think that, as we trend towards more player empowerment, that he must feel good, you know, better at least about where they're going with this thing. And then, you know, I think if he were to go, he's making a lot of different bets, some of which could come through for him. I mean, the first bet he's making is, you know, so he's in all the majors via his, you know, official official world golf ranking right now. He's in majors for this next year. So, you know, that he'd be making a bet on himself to win a major this next year to extend those exemptions, which I think that's a pretty good bet the way he's playing golf right now that he's, you know, I mean, I know, look, it's difficult to win majors, but I think that I could see why it's a risky one, but it's one that you're willing to make if you feel like you're truly one of the best players in the world, which I I think he does. Um, The other bet you're making is, is there going to be some sort of resolution that the PGA tour and the PIF come to through this framework agreement, which I would have been very skeptical a couple of weeks ago after the announcement of ROM. And now hearing these most recent reports that we just discussed, I'm maybe more optimistic that that could come together. Um, and then the last thing is what you just referenced with the OWGR. It's like, you're making a bet that the, you know, that, you know, he being one of the, you know, main weights that's shifting going to the other side. At what point does the current OWGR cease to function as criteria for admitting players into majors? You know, with Rom going over, if he went over, 
you got to a certain point look at the at the thing and say where are the best players playing and how can we fairly rank them? And I'm not I'm not saying give PGA Tour value points to those live fields, but you probably have to like start looking at ranking. So those are three different bets he'd be making if he was going. Um, and I, I'm not sure how strongly he feels on any of those, but I do feel like you know what we've learned through this on Victor and just other you know conversations we've had with him is like Victor seems like a very you know, deep thinker and, and and an honest one too. will just kind of tell you, you know, what he thinks. And so I think that on this piece, like I'm sure if, if his agents bring him live interests, he's going to give it an analytical deep think, I'm not saying he's going to go, but he's going to like give it a good look and say, does this make sense for me and my goals? And he's weighing a ton of money against what his life goals are, which is, you know, is it making me a better player? And right now, him becoming a better player and continuing to progress you know, from a legacy standpoint is more important than the money or so he tells you. Uh, we'll see if that shifts because as you pointed out with Rom, it did. But that's where he's at right now. And, and he's committed to events this earliest next year. And, you know, I, 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 uh, I guess we'll just have to see on him. But it would be a crushing loss if he ended up going. Yeah, 100%. Um, and if we, we kind of gotten to the point where we're not cheering for Victor Hovland and Ludwig Aubert to win a major championship as a, because to me, it's almost like when you win one, it's like, okay, it gives you an opportunity to negotiate knowing that (laughs) you can go take the bag and then eventually come back because you're going to be in the major championships. The risk is gone. Uh, We saw Wyndham Clark's name kind of pop up on Twitter as a person that was uh, had, whether he had an offer or not, I don't know. I, I'm not here to to tell you what his number is or if he's even talking to him. But it it makes sense because you read it, you're like, okay, he won the U.S. Open, gives him um, an opportunity to play in the majors and 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 get a bag. So y- you understand um, the aspects of that. But um, I saw Tony Fino as well, kind of saying he's st- staying around as well. But again, if if you haven't won major championships to the points that you just made, you, you are taking a risk. Yeah. Yeah. The calculus is different for every player. Um, and uh, it would be, it'll be interesting, but Hey, look, the hope is that this all, this thing all comes together. Uh, one, one last one on just the PGA tour, the business of the tour, <laughs> just whatever we're, we're putting under this entire umbrella, but um, report last week as well about just this law firm, representing 21 PGA tour players, uh, including Danny Willett, I guess, uh, Wesley Bryan has subsequently dropped his name from this list, but just essentially, um, demanding details and, and, and a full disclosure of, of, you know, all these proposals from these prospective capital partners, like the strategic sports group, you know, to all tour players. Um, and, you know, there's a lot in this letter, but I mean, it, 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 look, it, not to not take it seriously, but um, for all the Arrested Development fans out there, so I forget who shared a really good meme where it was like it was like the the uh, the Job, you know, the, the Alliance of Magicians with holding up a sign that says we demand to be taken seriously. And I, I couldn't help <laughs> myself, but like, look at this list and be like, really, guys? Like, I mean, and, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, but I mean, my whole where it starts and ends is like, guys, you, uh, you know, however these guys ended up on the, the player advisory council, the policy board, you know, it had to come through some sort of process internally that vetted these guys as the best representatives for your tour, you know? And, and so these guys going and negotiating on your behalf, 
you cannot reasonably expect to have all the details on a negotiation this sort of private and close to the vest. And I just don't understand why maybe it's just like, it, it feels like, you know, some of these, the details leak from these players, player meetings where some of the names on this list guys standing up and offering a scathing critique of, you know, uh, whether it was a commissioner or some player. And then like someone who's actually in the know is like pipe down, buddy. Like you don't really know the full details on us. I don't know if that's unfair to these guys, but it just feels like, Look, there's stuff going on. Just trust that it's in the best interest. At least this time you have your own players working on it. You know, I think they were under the opinion that the that Patrick Cantlay, like the reports that that came out, that he was the one that was running the tour. Listen, the players that are on the policy board are are being told in these negotiations at a you know a, a level that they can all comprehend. Hey, this is. This is what's going on, and this is the next move. They they aren't calling the shots because listen, they're not they're not guys that have ever negotiated this high level stuff in their entire life. They play golf, and yes, they're going to be involved at a very high level because this is the PGA Tour, and this is the new initiative by the players. Is that the players are going to have a more say in what goes on and and trying to get the seats correct with the board to where they're able to, you know, pass things they want to get through because this is what happened for us to get to a position like this is that the, the PGA Tour players weren't involved. So with that being said, why why would the entire membership need to know What's going on in these negotiations from a leverage standpoint? We just had a 30 minute discussion on 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 what happens with these different chess moves on how like live golf announcing ROM the day private equity was was uh, bids were due. I mean, that's that doesn't just happen. Right. So why would the PGA Tour need to well, I mean, they did tell all the uh, the memberships, the different equity groups, but they to what degree does it really matter that these these group of players need to know which one we're going to pick? I mean, you just have to trust this is why these guys were elected. These are the players that were chosen to lead the PGA Tour to this next chapter. And, and shoot, they didn't sign up. I guess they did now, but at least Jordan signed up to take on Rory's role. But hey, this is their job on the policy board is to to be a representative of all the players. And I know I know it's not all about this because I went into a pretty deep dive of the FedEx Cup structure mm-hmm. and distri- distribution points list that was announced last March that I kind of looked over, didn't really think much about it until last week when this list came out. And I think, first off, these players want to know what's going on like a lot of other players do. And, and we realize that, first off, that's not good for leverage and it's probably illegal <laughs> to to withhold or not withhold, but to give away all of that information anyways, as these negotiations are still going on. So as it pertains to this FedEx Cup points list, I do think that there's a case to be made by a player that's not in the signature events to say, we are fighting up against it based on how the FedEx cup point structure used to be and how it's going to be in 2024. Uh, that I think is a, that is a very fair part of this, uh, you know, list of demands, whatever you want to call it, is that it is an uphill battle. And and I think that, that that's where you kind of get stuck with 
whatever this new you know entity looks like of the you know the PGA Tour you know as it evolves with this additional investment, um, you know, somebody somebody kind of has to get the short end of the stick. You know, we can't make it work great for everybody. And so I think the thing that was perplexing to me was the demand for more information as it relates to the investment, because that's one where it's like, guys, we're trying to go out and get more money so that all of you can line your pockets further, even though, as we've discussed in this podcast, it's probably a bubble. It's probably, probably I'm not sure that we all deserve as much money, but shoot, we're going to go out and try to get it for you and, and, and make everybody richer. And that's a good thing. Um, in terms of the structure, it's like it's one of those things where I don't know that they exactly have it right right now. I mean, I think that the the market force they're responding to is, of course, live where they're like, we have to set these things up to reward the top players with with extra money and an ability to continue earning extra money in the future so that they don't go leave for the guaranteed money in a different place. That's what we're responding to. And, and the knock on effect of that is you make it a lot harder for the guys who aren't in the elite category to make that money because they're, they're outside of that top 50 ecosystem and, and to play their way in, they have to play really, really well in these sort of limited stretches to enter a next 10 or, or swing five category and work their way in and hold. But so I, I get the, I get the, uh, the, the need for more transparency there. I just, I, that to me is like, that's ah, just kind of the reality of how it goes. Uh, definitely. And, and- to kind of talk about the money argument there, this this is a uh, strictly a points distribution list issue that they're I think that right. they have a big problem with. I, I think whether players are going in the response to that is definitely not like something we've discussed this entire time. But what I'm referring to is last year, the signature events awarded 550 points to first place and the majors had 600 points and the players championship was also 600. And as we move into 2024, the designated events jump from 550 points all the way to 700 points. And the, and the major championships are going to be awarded 750 points. First off that, that itself, I mean, it's a, what the PGA tour is saying there is that we value the designated events the signature events um, much at a much higher standard than what we see the regular season events being. And I think that was always the argument that was being made at if you were playing a signature event and you're playing a regular season event, I wanted to run a couple numbers. And if, if you finished fifth at the Bermuda championship, it's it's a right around about the same as finishing 18th at the Travelers. And I think you can make the case that that makes sense, right? Like mm-hmm. if, if I finish 18th at the Travelers and somebody finished fifth at the Bermuda, you would say that on a scale, that's pretty even. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense of where that, that value is. And as it kind of continues on in this, I mean, the the thing that blows me away is the number that it takes to get to top 50 in the FedEx cup point structure, which last year Hideki Matsuyama was right around 942 points. So let's say that's where we need to get to, to be able to play in all these big time events, at least exempt into them. Right. Yeah. If you were going to just play in open 
just the regular season open events. So you're not in any signature events and you finished 10th place 12 times. That wouldn't be enough to get into the top 50. That would get you 900 points. Mm. So a player that is in the signature events, if he was to finish 10th six times, he would eclipse that player who played and finished 12th or excuse me, finished 10th, 12 times. All he had to do was do that six times in signature events. So you're talking about a player that finished 10th, the player, like the player that played in the regular season. events, he did it 12 times versus a player that did it in signature events six times. So you're telling me that player, all he has to do is play in half the events and finish the exact same in the exact same position. So it, yeah, what it tells you is that that player has to play not only he's got to win golf tournaments to make it into signature events. That seems to be uh, an easy way to do it because you get still get that 500 points. But the challenge to, to get to that 900 point mark, it's a it's an uphill climb because that just tells you there he's got to play double the amount to get the same amount of points. Well, and, and, and correct me if I if I don't have these numbers wrong here, but this past year it was 500 points for a regular event win and like 300 for an opposite field win. Correct? Yes. Yes. That's <laughs> so staying the it, same. That's so all it, staying the same in 2024. But if what you're telling me is that 500 is now a regular event win and a signature is now 700 points for a win. Yes. What you've effectively done is if it's a 200 point gap is, is you've made them like, opposite field events in a way in terms of valuing them right because it was a 500 300 gap last year and now it's a and i know that the opposite field will remain 300 but you're know, saying the signature events are worth 200 points more for a win than the regular events that, but it, make, that, it makes you, sense though right like it doesn't I, it make think, sense oh, to you the value but totally i mean i like i think it, i think it makes sense and i also think that it's it's almost like soft launching the new reality of golf because we just discussed at length how if we try to fold the PIF and live into this thing and you're kind of stripping the schedule apart and you're keeping the majors and you're keeping these, you know, these signature events, these player hosted invitationals, like, but you're creating more dates for whether it's team competitions or global events or whatever, like you're, you're already going to be stripping down the schedule and having these big landmark events for just the top players, whether that's defined by, playing merit or you know some criteria of like we paid this guy a bunch of money to come over and sign like that's mm-hmm. gonna happen either way i understand like I, I i understand the frustration of this level of player demanding for more because all they can do is advocate for themselves but i also just think it's like it's the reality of the direction we're going and if they're kind of starting to wrap their heads around it this next year with the the disconnect between signature events and regular events. Like we're only going further in that direction. I believe now you you at home can decide whether that's good or bad. I just think it's inevitable. You know, it is. And the, the big issue that players are, are having with this system is last year, there, there wasn't enough discrepancy in the points from event to event because the values just didn't represent what a, a finish at, at Bermuda was versus what a finish at the Travers was, and, you know, and you look at the points list and it makes sense. Listen, and I use 10th place as a good example, because this is where you start to see the differences. 
like last last year in a regular season event, which is, will be exact same this year, you get 75 points for 10th in a yeah. signature event last year. You got 78 points for 10th, just three more points. So, I mean, that doesn't make sense, does it? Right. So I know. Th- in this year, well, I'll, I'll let you get into this here in one second. 10th place in a designated event this coming year is 175 points. That's wild to me. I mean, that's, but I think too, it's, it's like, that to me partially is just the, um, reflective on the turmoil in the game these past years of like, I mean, remember how many different times we got, like, here's what the new schedule is going to look like. Here's what the new format's going to be like. I mean, shoot, we went through three different terms for these events in the span of less of a year. We went from elevated to designated to signature in less than a year. And so I think that, you know, there has to be some room for fine tuning. Um, and I think that, you know, the point that I feel like you're making is like, I know these guys are upset by this, but this is also like truly reflective of the quality of these fields versus yeah. you know, of the, you know, the signature yeah. fields versus the quality. There. So I, I totally get it. I, I think that there's going to continue to be agitation from the, whatever you want to call the group, the next tier, you know, mules is a term that's bandied around all the time, you know, like whatever you want to, whatever, however you want to term those guys, like they're going to continue to be upset by this. Um, but I, I don't think that, I don't think the tour is wrong in, in creating this new reality. Cause I think it's just, it's just reflective of where we're going in golf, like it or not. I, the only thing I'll disagree with is I think that they believe that it's still going to have the same amount of 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 different players entering that top 50 i would bet you that percentage wise like whatever their their numbers are i i think it's going to be much higher for the players that are in the top 50 to be able to stay in the top 50 because listen dude i mean i said the 10th i mean i can go down the list 20th place is uh, for a regular season event you get 45 points last year in the signature events you got 51 for 20th and then this coming year designated events you get 100 for 20th yeah. place. I mean, it's double, you get double the right. amount of points for a finish basically is, is the best way to look at it anywhere outside of that 10th place. You just, you don't, you don't have to play as well uh, to, you know, get the, the same amount of points for a player that plays better against a lesser field. So you understand the argument, but is it, is it tipped to have or heavily in the favor of the players that have that advantage, which if I'm looking at this list right now and I'm not in that top 50 and I'm not in the um, in any of the signature events, you got to play good early. You need to get into that next five category because it is so important because you need to play at least two of these events uh, to be able to get that jump in the in the points list. Because this the PGA Tour has never been a world ranking based system. It used to be money, which determined what kept your card, but it's a points system that determines whether you have a job or not and when you're at an, a disadvantage from a point standpoint you got you've got to figure out a way to get in these events and and there is an opportunity you got to play well to do it but man i didn't realize the significance that this points change had last march when it was announced how much it affects the guys that aren't in these signature events in 2024 at, at that at the players uh, championship press conference back in March when Jay Monahan was asked about this, he said the models they had, they were running at the time that 60% of the players that were in the top 50 stayed in the top 50 
for the following year. Now, I'm not sure if the models that's going up. I guarantee you, if we look at it right now, it's going to be more than 70 percent. And I'm really curious to see how it plays out. But I I feel like kind of the numbers you're laying out there, you're trying to kind of game out scenarios. And this is this is the other thing that's interesting, too, is that. The game of golf is, of course, a game of form. It's like guys usually don't play well all season long unless their name is Scotty Scheffler. And, you know, that's just a a different human being. Right. And he's already in the top 50. But, you know, it's it's let's say you get on a good run early on and you're, you know, in the next 10 or swing five category and you make it to some of these events, you're playing well. I guess that would keep you in the next 10 category. But. Look, if, if you start losing some form and you're and you're out of some of these signature events going forward and you're and you can't play your way back into them, it's like, hey, congrats on the money you earned early in the season. But you're still not going to have enough points to make it into the top, you know, you know, 70 or 50 or whatever to get into the FedEx Cup and to stay there versus all these guys who no matter how bad they play in these events, all they got to do is kind of figure it out the second half of the season and play well and get their points, you know, when they when they are playing well and they'll still have the points for their lower finishes early on in the signature events. And now they're going to get, you know, as they improve, they, they just have a statistical advantage over you. And so, you know, I think you're going to have to play really, really bad as a top 50 player to play your way out of the signature events. And you're going to have to play bad. Or we still lose your card, long. right? All, you know, yeah, like if all like, season long, like 125 last year was Austin Smotherman. And this is before Dude. the FedEx got fall. This was 293 points, which the benchmark used to be, closer to 350 400 so that's extremely low i think i don't know if that had more of an effect of the live players leaving that there was just some inconsistencies kind of more in that that 125 range but i mean dude just think about how bad it is for not only the five the regular season event guys but the the uh i used to call it the island tour the the uh the events that are for 300 which is the you know the the ones that are opposite field events I mean, if you won in one of those events, you would end up getting into to more events. But hypothetically, let's say you didn't. Yeah. You had to win three of those events and you still wouldn't get into the signature events at, at 900 points. At our, the number was 942 last year. So just just looking at that and and how the PGA Tour is going to be next year, um, it's it's you really need to go play more aggressively because top five finishes is more important than finishing six to 10th because the points it's, it's just a points game. You have to finish. Um, you have to get some top five finishes because top 10 finishes just don't do you quite as good. Um, the way these points are, are set up for 2024. If you're in those um, just regular season open events, it's gotta be statistically impossible to lose your tour card. If you're in top 50 this next year. Oh, trust me. It, Golf, golf can definitely happen. <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> I mean, I guess you, we'll see, we'll see if it can happen. But I mean, I just don't see how. I mean, I guess I'd have to look at the points for like you know, you know, back half of the field finishes in these signature events. But I just feel like with the way the points are weighted, unless you truly just snunk it up all season long, it's like you can basically just pencil in your tour card for for twenty five already. If you're if you're in this top fifty group going in this next year, um, I'll say it's seventy percent though. We can look at it, and that'll be something we can look yeah. at uh, this time next year. I, you said that um, the PGA Tour and, and Jay said sixty. I, I'm I'm willing to bet seventy would be the number uh, that make it. Yeah. But that's we'll see. We will see. Well, I mean, this fe- feels like we finally made it to our. Season recap. It's, it took us so many weeks of reacting to breaking news to finally kind of get there and talk about the system and play it forward in the next year. But here we are uh, getting a full assessment of, of where we're going in 2024. 
and I mean, shoot, this is, as we said at the top of the episode, this is theoretically the last Smiley show of the year. So, um, I mean, reflection, Smiley, on, on the year, on the first, I guess we started the pod in mid, mid-May, ahead of the PGA Championship. So we've done a little more than a half year of, of Smiley shows. What, what, are, what are your reflections on, on 2023 with the pod? Shoot, we haven't even had an Augusta uh, preview yet. So I'm looking forward to a uh, major season as that approaches next year. But definitely a fun year. I think we've learned a lot. Uh, we definitely had some great feedback uh, from those that listen and watch just on what they like to hear, what, who the guests they like to see. But um, I think one of our big goals for 2024 is to continue uh, to engage a little bit more with our with our audience because uh, we want to hear from you. We want to get to know you better. And um, I think we've been pretty busy in 2023 just trying to pump you content and making sure that we were covering all the news and um, and and get as much sleep as we could, but also knowing that, that we were, (laughs) we were trying to put out as much as we can and we'll continue to do that in 2024, but we definitely want to, uh, uh, hear and see from you, uh, at events next year. And, uh, as we continue to grow. Yeah, I think that's, that's really well said. And and of course, none of this means anything without all of you who tune in to, to listen and, and to watch, uh, every single week. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it is a season for appreciation and we very much appreciate all of you, uh, who, who stick with us every week for, for our, our takes and, and our content. And we're hoping to do bigger and better things in all those departments, uh, next year. So stay tuned for that. But until then, happy holidays. Hope you enjoy all of your Christmas traditions you're Norwegian like Victor Havlund and I, uh, best of luck stomaching whatever it is that you're eating. And we will uh, we will see you in 2024. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. See you then. The Smiley Show is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast.